Hi, I'm Greg Johnson. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church Wood Forest, and we're glad that you joined us today for this podcast. At Restoration, our mission is to empower people to become world changers by releasing them into their full potential in the kingdom of God. So around here, that takes place in a lot of different ways. But on Sunday mornings, we gather together, we worship passionately, and then we open up God's Word to explore the truth of His Word and how we can apply it to our lives. And so we hope that you're able to do that with this message today. We would never want this to be a replacement for church. We would like for it to be a supplement for you as you explore deeper intimacy with Jesus. But if you don't have a church home, join us any week at 9 a.m., and 11 a.m. Welcome to Restoration. If you've been a part of the Restoration family for very long, uh, you know it, you see it, you can feel it. If you're new here, um, we hope that you sense the presence of God. Uh, Since we started, that has been the goal, that you experience the presence of God in such a way that it transforms you, that it transforms the way you think, that it transforms the way that you interact with the world uh, because that is literally what changes the world. Um, and so on, on Thursday, uh, Yvonne and I had been out of town. We just got back into town and I ran up to the church and the parking lot was full. And uh, it, it was just a reminder to me that we had uh, about 100 women in Bible study on Thursday night as well. It's about 120 of our young adults gathering over um, in the South Side Sanctuary, as it's been dubbed now. And then I started thinking about uh, what happens here throughout the week. Uh, on Sunday night, uh, there are about 200 5th through 12th graders here on campus uh, for Mix 56 and our student ministry. Uh, On Monday, uh, over 100 were here for regeneration. On Tuesday, over 100 here for re-engage. On first Wednesday, a couple of weeks ago, there were close to 400 here. And I'm saying that these are just numbers, but every number represents a person. And every number represents an opportunity for life transformation. And so I just want to give you just a a few snapshots over the last nine years, even from the early days meeting in a school cafeteria. How many of you were around when we were meeting in a school cafeteria? Just raise your hand and keep it up so people can see. That tells a story there in itself, how many of us have started attending here since we have been on this campus. But since we have been meeting The focus has been on experience the presence of God and learning how to live the way of Jesus. So since 2015, uh, let me just give you a snapshot. We have baptized over 700 people of all ages. We have hosted four years of Destiny Sports Camp with an annual attendance of 300 kids and 150 volunteers. Zoe Mozzie for students has run concurrent with Destiny with over 100 students annually. Over 100, or I'm sorry, over 1,000 elementary age kids have attended Peak Week, our preaching summer camp. Every age group has experienced generational impact. 70 have finished the 12 steps of Regen, and over 100 are in the Regen process as of now. 250 couples have completed Reengage, and 39 couples are engaged in Reengage this semester. 
Over 400 people are in one of our 33 life groups. Over 1,000 women have gone through a semester of women's Bible study. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, 400 men at men's advance and somewhere between 15 to 30 men's groups that meet all over the area. In all, we are currently actively intentionally discipling over 800 adults. We have given hundreds of thousands of dollars and countless man hours actively serving our outside the walls ministry partners. So what's the point in this? Why am I telling you all this? A common question is tossed around in church leadership and conferences, and it's this. If your church closes doors tomorrow, would anyone in the community care? Have you ever heard of that? If the church doors of restoration were closed tomorrow, if we cease to exist, would anybody in the community really care? Would it be more than just uh, rehoming people that would no longer have a church home? So I couldn't be more excited about the impact that we've had, but I believe we've only scratched the surface of how God wants to work through the ministry of restoration. So because of that, we land on the perfect passage in the Sermon on the Mount today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And over the last two weeks, we looked at the Beatitudes, and, and the Beatitudes are simply these eight characteristics, not that we have to do to earn salvation, but because Jesus is on the inside of us, we uh, have these characteristics that we live out to the world around us. And today we're gonna look at the result of those. We're gonna look at how we interact with the world. And Jesus is gonna use these two metaphors, salt and light. Salt and light. And I think about, we just sang this in this song a few minutes ago. I don't walk like I used to. I don't talk like I used to. So there's a question in your life when you think about how you've been impacted by the person of Jesus Christ. Do you walk differently because of your relationship with Jesus? Do you talk differently because of your relationship with Jesus? We said this over the last couple of weeks as we've looked at the Beatitudes that Jesus is not interested in being a retrofit into your life. He's not interested in just being a part of your life, but in fact, Jesus is the essential element in your life that makes life make sense. I think about John chapter one, uh, right at the beginning, uh, in, in John one, it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, he was with God in the beginning. And so that word, word there, uh, it's not just, it doesn't just mean word, it, that word actually means the thing that gives meaning to life. In the beginning was the thing that gives meaning to life, the essential element that makes things make sense. And so as we walk through the passage today, I want you to think about that concept, that Jesus is the essential element that makes life make sense. And out of that, we offer the world the salt of the earth, the light of the world. So let's, let's read through this, just a few verses, and then I wanna point some things out. Starting in verse 13, it says, you are the salt of the earth, 
But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the lot of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's a lot of cool stuff that we want to walk through. Um, but as I was thinking about this, I, I remember uh, there, there used to be Fuddruckers in the Woodlands. It's closed now. But pretty much every Monday night, uh, our family and another family would go to Fuddruckers. We would get there about six and we would shut the place down. They would, they would tell us that we had to leave uh, because they were closing. And our kids, it was a safe place for our kids just to kind of run around. And so uh, we were great parents. We did not pay one bit of attention to them. And, and and so they just, they, they just kind of ran the place. I don't know if y'all have ever experienced that. Um, but one night, we're all, uh, we're sitting at the table talking. Our kids are kind of running amok. We're talking about life. And, and I happen to glance over. And at this table, my middle daughter, Katie, had gathered all the salt shakers in the area, probably 10 or 12 of them. She had opened them up and poured all the salt and made a huge mound of salt on the table. Now it's off onto the floor. And, and I looked over and kind of panicked and we just left. And uh, <laughs> it gives you a little ins insight into Katie. Um, salt is commonplace and actually overused in the world Today, but in the context of the passage, salt was a precious commodity in their time. In fact, it's, it's often how Roman soldiers were paid. That phrase, worth their salt, came from that. It was used for a couple of things. It was uh, used for seasoning food, but more often it was used as a preservative. Pure salt, when rubbed on meat, would preserve it indefinitely. It stopped the decaying process. Salt purified, it cleansed, it healed. But think about this. According to Harvard Health Publishing, the human body has the equivalent of about four salt shakers of salt. It is the major mineral in plasma, the fluid component of blood and in the fluids that bathe the body's cells. And without enough sodium, all these fluids would lose their water, causing dehydration, low blood pressure, and ultimately death. Salt is essential to every individual. You need it for life. So spiritually speaking, think about this. Our body needs salt to survive. And if we take that into the spiritual, Jesus is the essential element for life. Just as sodium chloride is essential for life, Jesus spiritually is essential for the life that we're called to live. And so he starts out in verse 13 and he says, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you preserve the earth. You stop the decaying process. You season the earth. You bring an essential element for life. So Jesus is using this metaphor to impress on us the importance of being an agent of redemption and life to the culture. 
So if that's the truth, if we are truly salt to the world, what does that look like? What does it look like functionally? Well, it looks like verses three through 12. It looks like the Beatitudes. It looks like humility where we recognize that we're spiritually bankrupt. It looks like repentance where we mourn over our sin to the point that we're willing to bring it to the feet of Jesus. Like meekness. That whole idea of, uh, of living with strength under control. It's a hunger for righteousness. It's merciful. It's pure. It's peaceful. It is the resolve to live to the point of persecution. Our saltiness is what separates us from the world. And when we are in the middle of moral decay, which by the way, our culture is in the middle of moral decay, we reveal and slow down the decay of our culture and bring an essential element to life itself. To be salt to the world is to bring the truth of the gospel to people. But it's not just speaking it, it's living it. It's not just, uh, if you remember, at, at the end of the year, Josh talked about the whole idea uh, of this bullhorn, that we don't just yell the gospel at the culture like those guys used to do at Tinseltown in the Woodlands. I don't know if you ever saw those guys on Friday nights, how they would stand out there and just scream people down that they were going to hell because they were going to see the new Mission Impossible movie. See, for a lot of us, we think that the gospel means, hey, I just go vomit the purposes of Jesus uh, into people's lives instead of living with them, walking alongside them, rubbing shoulders with them, getting in the messy with them. That's how we're salt of the earth. And let me just remind you, every single person in this room are broken and in need of what only Jesus can give. And so when we hear about brokenness in the lives of other people, when it's broadcast that there is brokenness in the lives of other people, we don't run in fear, but in fact, fear bows to Jesus. And we get the opportunity when we recognize the brokenness in other people, not to run from them, but to run toward them. And be love and peace and hope to a world that is in desperate need of it, both inside and outside the walls of the church. Jesus showed us a great example of that in John chapter eight. Do you remember the woman caught in adultery? How she's caught in the act and she's dragged naked into the temple by the Pharisees and thrown at the feet of Jesus. And you think about salt of the earth. Well, that's delaying the moral decay, right? By bringing the sinful people into the temple so that justice can be served? I mean, that seems like a pretty common way that we see in our culture that we deal with justice, right? But how did Jesus respond? Jesus kneels down and starts writing in the dirt to take the attention off of her shame and nakedness and putting the attention solely on him. And then he rises up and says, you know what, stoner, Stoner, with one provision, you gotta be without sin to do it. And what happened? They walked away one by one, first the oldest and the youngest. 
And then what did Jesus do? Jesus, I can only imagine in her shame, he kneels down, he looks her in the eye, and he says this, hey, listen, where are your condemners now? They don't condemn you, neither do I. Just go and sin no more. Do you see what Jesus does there? Being the salt of the earth means you move toward the brokenness and you take all eyes off of you and put it squarely on him. And then you say, hey, listen, I'm not judging you. I'm inviting you into a life of no more sin. I'm inviting you into a life of repentance. That is how we are salt of the earth, that we move toward brokenness. We don't run from it. And the kingdom of God, again, is counterintuitive. As salt, we are called to preserve the earth, to slow the decay by the way we interact. And so through the ministry of restoration, we're slowing down the decay as people are encountering and embracing and embodying the way of Jesus. That's what happens. Think about two weeks ago at Men's Advance, I talked a little bit about it last week, how secrets were coming to the surface. That through the power of the Holy Spirit in the room where we were meeting, men were compelled to bring their secrets into the light. And that was step one. Step two was bringing that secret to the people that they loved the most, to the people that were gonna be really hurt by a confession. And we focus on the natural consequences of that because it definitely can bring disruption to a relationship, right? But here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is it brings life and freedom as a result. As we are the salt of the earth, we are preserving and we are slowing down the moral decay by living out the truth of Jesus and inviting others to do the same. And when we live in truth, when we experience truth and then begin to embody truth, our lives are forever changed. You are the salt of the earth. No condemnation, just go and sin no more. And then he says, as salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything. I think that's interesting because sodium chloride is a strong chemical compound, so losing saltiness is really almost unheard of. It's hard to break down salt so that it's no longer salty. However, in those days, sometimes salt was mixed with white dust like road dirt, and it looked like salt, but it was made ineffective as a result. Because that sodium chloride now was mixed with uh, the, the grossness of dirt that people are walking over, it was no longer effective. So what does that mean? It means we go back to those eight characteristics that he just talked about. That it's not about me, it is about living hungry and thirsty for the righteousness of God. It's about living a life that is pure in heart, in both thought and act and motivation. Not one foot in and one foot out. Not custom fitting Jesus into my life. Because when that happens, I become ineffective in the kingdom. 
Jesus is the essential element in me. He is the one that makes life make sense. And I can bring that essential element to the world. So that's salt. We're the salt of the earth. But then he goes on and he says, you are the light of the world. So this is really interesting because in John chapter 8 verse 12, what does Jesus say? He says, I am the light of the world. And so Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. How is that possible? Because Jesus is in you. Because he is light and he is in you. You now can radiate the light of Jesus. You don't create your own light. In reality, you're like the moon. This is gonna be shocking to some of you, but did you know that the moon does not create light in and of itself? When you see the moon shining at night, some of you are like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, you don't create, uh, the, the moon doesn't create light in and of itself. It's only reflecting the light that comes from the sun. How cool is that? So in this scenario, are you the sun or the moon? You're the moon. You are only reflecting and radiating the light that comes from the sun. You are the light of the world. And what is the functional definition of light? It's the absence of darkness. So this is even stronger than the salt analogy. The salt analogy is good, but now he's like, hey, listen, you radiate. You expose dark places. You're expelling darkness wherever you go. That is why we say at the end of every service, wherever we go, what? The kingdom goes with us. Look, look at what he says about it. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Then he says, you don't put light under a bowl. Remember this? Hide it under a bushel. <laughs> Let's try that again. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Yeah. I mean, we grew up singing that song, right? It comes straight from this passage. It's the whole idea that you don't create your own light, but when you're radiating a light, he said a city on a hill can't be hidden. As a church, restoration should be a place that is radiating light from miles around. Now, we've put some lights out here for the parking lot, so if you drive by at night, it does literally radiate. A little bit annoying. But at the end of the day, we are radiating light. But I want you to think about this. It is individually radiating light and then we collectively come together when we are living out the purposes of Jesus. Man, how bright is that? It's incredible. In your world, as a follower of the way of Jesus, your light reveals gossip your light reveals dishonesty in business. It reveals racism and hatred. It reveals promiscuity. Your light should look different than the light of the world. And light is revealed by the way you handle pressure, the way you take criticism, the way you treat those underneath you, the way you live from Jesus and not for Jesus. Again, we are just moons. We are radiating and revealing the light that only comes from Jesus. Spoiler alert. Ultimately, you never shine brighter 
than when you're living in your Ephesians 2.10 calling. Remember, it says, you are God's workmanship created how? In Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. It means that, that your good works, James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from where? From the Father of lights. You are not a light creator, only Jesus is. But Jesus activates in you the life that you were meant to live. Again, because he is light, you are light. It's the way that God made you to shine in the world. And so he says in verse 16, let your light shine before men so that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's so important to note that your light, again, is the sum total of the Beatitudes. He's saying that when you are that kind of person, the light of Christ will come naturally from you. Do you realize this? You don't have to work for Jesus to show light through you. No, it is cultivated in the secret place. It is the most natural thing in the world. It should be the most natural thing in the world in the life of a believer to naturally exude light. But it only happens, it's only cultivated in the laboratory of the secret place, alone, unhurried time with the Father every day. So here's a question. How do you know if the light you are shining is Jesus or you? That's a valid question, right? What does your light illuminate? Does it illuminate your righteousness or God's righteousness in you? So this is a tough one. But I know that when I'm pure in heart, I point people to Jesus. However, when I'm full of me, I want the credit for anything good. And just real talk, I've been both. You may have heard this story before, but I was thinking about it. Uh, we bought a couch from Ashley Furniture a few years back, and um, it was not comfortable at all. The one we sat on in Ashley Furniture was comfortable. The one that, that actually ended up in our house was not at all. And we uh, thought, hey, we got the wrong couch. And so uh, we decided that we were gonna return it. And so I walk in to Ashley Furniture with my wife. Uh, her mom was in town. And so uh, it was me, Yvonne, and, his, and, and her mom, Vicky. And I walk over to the customer service desk and I said, hey, we, we wanna return uh, the couch that we bought here. How do we go about doing that? You guys coming and picking it up? And he said, Ah, uh, and he points to this sign on the wall that says, you know, no returns, all sales are final. And I'm like, ah, uh, no, uh, the delivery guy told us that, you know, once he delivered it, that we had 14 days, if we didn't like it, that you would come and pick it up. And this guy says, well, you know, they're a third-party vendor. They don't even work for us. I don't know why they, would told you, why they would have told you that. Once you sign the documentation, it's yours. You can't take it back. So uh, in, in, in the most godly, loving, light-of-the-world way, um, I could just feel myself just, like, the temperature's rising, and I'm like, huh. And I turned to Yvonne and just very kind of loudly and sarcastically said, well, looks like we got a couch. Well, she starts backing out the door, and I'm like, so, you know, I, I really need to understand how this third-party vendor could lie to our faces and now we're stuck with a couch that we don't want. And he goes, yeah, I'm so sorry. So sorry, that's how it happened. And I go, yeah, I just, man, 
that just, uh, that just really frustrates me. And, uh, and I'm standing there, and then the guy says, hey, by the way, you're the best preacher I've ever heard. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> he said, you're the pastor at Restoration, right? And I was like, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> now I'm replaying the conversation in my mind and just trying to determine how offensive have I been over the last 90 seconds. And, and uh, he said, yeah, me and my fiance have been going, you know, for several weeks. We really love it and we love being there. And I'm like, yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> Hey, listen, I'm so sorry. I was a little frustrated. We actually love the couch. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say that, but it <laughs> would have been a great thing to say. And, uh, and, and now I'm kind of backing out the door uh, and uh, say, hey, see you Sunday. You know, and I go and I get in the car and all Yvonne said was, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was... So we have opportunities every single day to be the light of Jesus in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of tough situations, failed miserably. Um, but I, I love to spend time with wait staff at restaurants and I tend to go to the same restaurants all the time. And uh, a few months ago, I was at lunch with a guy uh, that goes here and uh, we were sitting at a table and the, uh, the waitress walks over to the table and clearly pregnant, very pregnant. And, uh, uh, and so uh, as we're talking, I just said, hey, so when do you do? Which is a dangerous thing to say, right? Uh, but I felt pretty confident. And, uh, and she said, I'm doing a couple months. And, and I'm like, so how's that all working? And, you know, she reveals that the father's really not in the picture. And... Um, and I said, man, that, that must be hard. And uh, she said, yeah, I've got to earn so much money, you know, over the next couple of months to tide me over because I'm going to be out of work for a couple of months. And uh, that's the life of a waitress, right? That you're only as good as the money that you make. And, uh, and, and so I said, wow, that's hard. And uh, she said, yeah. And I said, uh, she had a little tattoo on her arm and I love to ask people what, what the story is behind their tattoo. It's a great conversation starter. And I said, hey, so what's with the tattoo on your arm? And she said, oh, well, that was a drunk decision. And then she said, by the way, so was this. And, uh, and, <laughs> and we laugh. And I said, hey, we'd love to pray for you. And her eyes well up with tears. She said, Really? So yeah, we just want to pray that the God would be with you during this time. And, and so she just stands there and I said, oh, are you cool with me praying now? Yeah. And so we prayed for her and she starts crying and she brings us our food and uh, goes off. Well, when it was time to pay the bill, uh, the guy that I was with uh, was overwhelmingly generous, overwhelmingly, like hundreds of dollars. And then another uh, family was in there that I knew that she was waiting on. And I, I walked over and just tapped on the table and said, hey, tip her big, which he did. And so my lunch date left and Yvonne happened to be there. And I went and sat down with she and uh, Carrie Hogan, who they were having lunch. And, and all of a sudden, this waitress walks over to the table and 
she's crying and she goes, who are you? So I'm just the guy having lunch. She was like, do you not know how much that guy tipped me? And I said, no, and she shows me. I'm like, man, you must be living right. She said, yeah, and that guy that you talked to over at the other table, he tipped me really big. Mm-hmm. And she said, why would you do this? I said, Here, here's all I want you to know today. Jesus met you right here. This is not about me. It's not about these guys. It's about Jesus. Guys, that's how we're the light of the world. When we step into brokenness and we look past uh, people's shame, she was really wearing shame right there on the surface. But we don't judge people by the things that they do. We love them right where they are. And we move toward their pain. And that's how we are the salt of the earth. That's how we are the light of the world. And, and I want you to know, I'm not the hero of that story. Jesus is. And we get to show people Jesus in practical ways. Individually and collectively. We're called to be salt, to slow down the decay in the world and bring the essential element of Jesus to the world. And because Jesus is light, we are light. Because he is in you, you are now the light of Jesus to the world around you. In every neighborhood, every restaurant, every grocery store, every gym, every place of business, every school, wherever you go, the kingdom goes with you. So this is how restoration would be missed if we cease to exist. Because we are so engaged in the world around us that we are so focused on being salt and light to the world around us, we are having generational impact on the world. And that's not me. It's not about the ministry professionals doing the work. It's about every single one of us collectively together moving toward darkness and shining light. It's about coming and seasoning the lives of people around us by being salt to them. Slowing down the decay by rubbing shoulders with the broken. This is who we're called to be. We stoke the fire of Jesus in the secret place and he sets us on fire. And as we burn, we shine. And through that, we're love where there is no love. We're peace where there is no peace. We're hope where there is no hope. Did you know that his light can't be contained in these four walls? never meant to be. That's why we call ourselves an aircraft carrier, that the goal is just to come in and allow this to be a part of stoking the fires of Jesus in you. And then you go into the secret place, into your unhurried time with God every single day and allow Him to stoke those fires even more. So you're inspired here, but you're changed in the secret place with Jesus to the point that now you radiate to the world around you. 
we have only scratched the surface. The best is truly yet to come. And I am so proud and so excited that we're on this journey together. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing right here in Montgomery. But can we pray together right now that over the next nine years, that Jesus would stoke the fires of revival in our hearts, that we would be white hot for his purposes, for his fame, and for his glory. Who's in? Who's in?